Hi, my name is Adam, and I've never seen Double Indemnity. Another episode of Fine, I'll Watch This. My name is Johnny. And I'm Bridget. And today we are doing another noir film for Noir November. And we are tackling an all-time classic in the genre, Double Indemnity. Adam, you have not seen this. Um, We had just got off the heels of The Third Man. Mm -hmm. Slightly unconventional in some ways, but um, I think you really enjoyed that one. I did, yeah. I uh, and I think the more I thought about it, like in the days afterwards, I liked it more. I think, yeah, yeah. Like when I was explaining the plot of like what we watched that night, I was like, you know what? The more I think about it, the more I actually quite enjoy this. So, uh, yeah, I was a big fan last week. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I had seen it just the once a long time ago, and you had seen it too. No, 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 we all have not seen yeah, it. No, I'm, no, I'm confused. I'm confusing with a touch of evil. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I think the fact that we saw Dune in between this really sort of scrambled my brain a bit on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I enjoyed Third Man quite a bit. I didn't sort of. I wasn't crazy about the score, even though some of you guys loved it for how off kilter it was. It. The setting was also a little different, not the usual sort of L.A., Chicago, mm-hmm. steam grades and palm trees and things like that. Bridget, how did you sort of like Third Man just quickly? Uh, I I did really enjoy it, um, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is not as noirish for yeah. November as I was expecting. So, so going into Double Indemnity, which is like, I think... You know, the high watermark, the, like, classic example. I was shown this in college in a film class. Like, this is what a noir is, essentially. Yeah, like, if someone asks you, like, like what's what's a shark movie I should see? Like, people are going to say Jaws. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's almost it's, like immediately, is it Double Indemnity or whatever? Sunset Boulevard? It's like one of those. So what's the Sharknado of the noir genre? Do we know? Do we have to uh, think about City. it? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yes. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Yeah. I asked that question as a joke, and you gave me the perfect answer. <laughs> that movie is good. I like that movie. I haven't I, watched that movie in yeah. years. I haven't I seen it since it came out, but I remember liking it yeah. and remember skipping the sequel because I was like, no, I've I've fallen off of this train. You guys made the spirit, and you tried the black and white noir thing again, and it didn't work, and I yeah. don't trust you anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked, but Sin City works brilliantly in some, some spots to mm-hmm. really sort of showcase the, the strengths of a noir. But getting back on track, Adam, Double Indemnity, <laughs> what do you know about it? What have you heard about it outside of what we all the praise we just said? Um, I think it's one of those things where like I've heard the title a million times and it's talked about. It's on lists for everything, not just uh, noir specific lists, but, you know, AFI lists. And, you know, I'm sure it's in the thousand movies to see before you die book and, you know, everything where it's just one of those things that the title has always permeated popular culture. I also get it confused with Double Jeopardy with, uh, what's her face? Uh, uh, Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd, yeah. Where she maybe kills Tommy Lee Jones or doesn't, or uh, they can't try her for the same crime. I nope, don't know. Not to spoil anything, but they both deal with legal clauses, but we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, in my brain, 
someone says Double Indemnity, and I'm like, oh, the Ashley Judd movie with Tommy Lee Jones. And they're like, no, the movie from the 40s. I'm like, okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Um, I like movies where Tommy Lee Jones chases things. Oh, that is a good genre. That is a great genre. I don't know seen Double Jeopardy, though. I don't know if it's worth putting on the list. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, other than the uh, nothing that I said, nothing. I yeah. know nothing. <laughs> nothing about it. I don't know anybody that's in it. I don't know anybody who, the guy who directed it, don't know anything. I just know that it's the 40s, and from Googling the name to have up just in case, I see it's in black and white. Okay. And that's about it. Now, are you familiar with the legal clause, what double indemnity means? Nope. Okay. Is, cool. is that important to know before going in, or is that a spoiler? Uh, no, I think they kind of explained it fairly well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is it like a, an overview narration of like double indemnity and it's the dictionary definition? Uh, no, it's not a silent movie, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's... <laughs> That'd be great if, like, the card came up, like, okay, that's what it is. Yeah. Bridget, your history with the movie. Um, yeah, so I saw this for the first time when I was a freshman in college. I was taking a, a French cinema class, actually. Oui, oui. Oh, <laughs> bonjour. Um, <laughs> but um, this was actually, I believe, the first film we were shown in class uh, because noir was such a big sort of building block for French cinema to kind of be built off yeah. of. And, you know, I'd always liked or thought I liked older movies, slash I had seen Casablanca a bunch of times when I was in high school. <laughs> but I remember being a little bit taken aback by some of the themes in it and just thinking, this is so well done. This isn't, it doesn't feel hokey. It's thrilling. And just really enjoying it but i have not sat down and watched it all the way through since how about you yeah same boat um was introduced to it in a college course i don't know which particular film class it was but we did watch it to answer not even a question you posed to me but the first film that i watched in in college for a course was Eraserhead. head <laughs> 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 whatever it's like black and white that's probably probably as close as it gets but yeah, really uh, was not expecting a lot. Didn't really, really know what noir was. Again, probably the first one that I even close to saw was like a Sin City, you know what I mean? Close yeah. to being in that sort of genre. But I had sort of befriended a kid in class, and we sort of enjoyed the same sort of movies, and we both had not seen the movie going into the course, and we both loved it. I mean, we were laughing a lot. I mean, just the cynical nature of the main, the main character's dialogue and all the twisty turns in it and... Just, again, being sort of blown back that it's black and white, oh, uh, we're going to see something cheesy, hokey, something to laugh at that's kind of like dumb and, you know, elementary. And well, probably because up until this point, your black and white is your mystery science theater style B-movie. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Or uh, what was on Kablam? What was the the alien and the, the caveman? Oh, yeah, 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 Prometheus and Bob. Yeah, that was probably the first black and white shit <laughs> that I saw as a kid. Wow, deep cut. Deep cut, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that popped up. <laughs> yeah, it's a strong pull. Kids, look that up. Yeah, the yeah. Plan was a great show. Oh, uh, it is great, yeah. But yeah, I, I so it, it was the first black and white movie that I was like, wow, this is like legitimately good. This is legitimately <laughs> thrilling. Yeah. The acting's really good. Like in getting into the class, we were sort of far along into the class where I started to really start to appreciate more of the aesthetics of a movie mm-hmm. opposed to sort of just like a pure entertainment value. So I was sort of like, wow, I know what that is. I know what they're kind of doing with this shot and that. So. It's definitely like a filmmaker's, film lover's dream of a type of movie. Hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of people sort of, if you really aspire to like want to learn about film and the filmmaking process, this is always 
obviously you always like to start at the beginning of the history of things, and along the way you should stumble into this movie at some point. But yeah, really sort of like, it doesn't have any fat on it type of movie, like it moves at a good clip, it gets right to it. Just a lot of fun, and a lot of fun dialogue. It's of its time. As, as and all, all things are. As all things imagine. are. I can imagine. So one of the things that I didn't like so much about last week's Third Man was the music, and the music in this one is more in line with what I think a lot of people associate with noirs, mm-hmm. which is sort of the orchestral, uh, brassy type of stuff, lone saxophone, and then also it being sort of set in uh, L.A., like in America, and on yeah. home turf is more uh, in line with some of the noir movies that at least I've seen a bunch, but... Yeah, I don't, again kind of want to leave it at that. It's a really kind of juicy, fun short story, and uh, I mean, I think you're really gonna enjoy it. I think you're gonna get a kick out of it. Good. I'm still looking. I'm still on the hunt. I mean, we're only one movie into Noir November, but I'm still on the hunt for more of that meh, see style dialogue, and I'm yeah. really hoping they get that here. Um, and the fact that it is set in L.A. means that it's gonna be more of what I anticipated last week's to be in terms of what I know of of the Noir genre. So I'm hoping to get some of that and kind of the dames and detective-y kind of stuff and you know you mentioned like you know twists and turns along the way that a noir is typically known for so i'm hoping to get a good kind of not necessarily a whodunit but a good detective involved story as opposed to just guy who has questions about his friend which was what third man was even though i liked that movie as we discussed but it wasn't quite the detective story that i was hoping for given what noir genres typically include. Yeah, I think the prof- the professions in this movie mm-hmm. fall into what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, opposed to a guy who's inquisitive about where his friend is. Yeah, because like when I, we talked about it a little bit last week when we were kind of just going over noirs in general, is that to me a noir has either a private detective or a police detective. There's always some cop on the take. You know, there's always some underhanded guy who's stuffs the bribe in his fedora as he walks away from the the gangsters or whatever. So I'm hoping to get some of that, not necessarily in this, but in any of the other movies that we watch through the out the remainder of the uh, of the month, we'll hopefully get some yeah. uh, some of that just so I can satisfy that itch <laughs> for this genre. Right. Otherwise, I don't know where I'm going to go to find it. I'll just watch <laughs> Roger Rabbit again. <laughs> Bridget, uh we mentioned before this is a Billy Wilder movie. Mhm. I don't know how much history or what you know about the director, but I know you have at least put one of the his films on the list, which I think is The Apartment. Uh, the Apartment. He also directed Sunset Boulevard. Yep. Some, some like it hot. Some he like wrote. it hot. Yep. So yeah, you put a few on there, yeah. Yeah. He, very just classic Hollywood filmmaker. Thin mustache, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I, I see a thin mustache on him. He did Seven Year Itch. It's a movie I've heard of. <laughs> a lot of movies I've heard of. But yeah. Um, but yeah, really acclaimed, acclaimed director in the 40s, did a lot of great classics, mm-hmm. uh, multiple genres. And through through into the, the 60s, you know, that longevity is there too. Yeah. So you can kind of see, this is someone who evolved with the times as well. Right, right. Um, he was, uh, uh, last weekend, I think, is what he ultimately wins his first. Last weekend, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, he won like an Oscar, Oscar for, for okay. it. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering. I, I would imagine that he would have won an Oscar if not like a lifetime achievement <laughs> one. Oh, I'm sure. You know, there's also you know the and we can talk more after maybe. But book is written by James Kane, 
who wrote The Postman Always Rings Twice, mm. Mildred Pierce, and it was adapted with Raymond Chandler, who wrote The Big Sleep, uh, The Long Goodbye, the Philip Marlowe novel. So it's three kind of powerhouse mm. creators coming together at just the right time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and The Lost Weekend was the movie that came out after Double Indemnity, so yeah. he got his, his win right after that. Yeah, maybe inspired by Raymond Chandler's drunken antics on set but hmm, interesting now have you guys seen this since college i know you just mentioned that you maybe have not seen it since then mm-hmm. for a while this was sort of like out of print or it was not being uh manufactured or duplicated in any way mm-hmm. we, i brought it on blu-ray over here we'll watch that's how we're gonna watch it and i remember like ho- like hoping one day it'll co- come back on and this was even before streaming services or things like that so I think if you were lucky to have a copy of it back then, like you were just again. Yeah, if you had a tape or a correct or a tape yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I think um, we watched this on VHS in class. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, back on it. So do you think it was an official release or like your teacher taped it off TCM back when they started I, teaching the class? It must have just. <laughs> yeah, he must have just recorded it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had not seen it since college, and then maybe like ten or. 15 years lapsed mm-hmm. and it was finally available they like remastered it it came out i think it says it's 70th anniversary or something to that effect on it um so yeah it's 2014 so yeah yeah so again so keep um, my timeline's pretty airtight guys yes. yeah. and i purchased it and i and i maybe watched it a, a few times since then okay. but again i think like i mentioned before noirs you really sort of have to be in the mood for it mm-hmm. there were times i said i definitely pulled it like halfway out of the bookshelf i'm like oh, it just it never fully came out of it, but... Um, yeah, I'd rather watch Sin City. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but I've... A handful of times, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, any... I, again, we sort of went over everything so far, but I mean, any just last-minute expectations from you, Adam? No, I mean, it's it's got to be good for a reason. I can't imagine this is going to be one of those things where I'm like, oh, I just don't get it. I mean, I guess I could because it's of the time and... Sometimes, even no matter how good a movie is from back then, sometimes the technical hang-ups and the whatever else is going on in it or around it, it's just like, okay, yes, it was impressive. I know I always bring this up, but like, Citizen Kane is boring. Yes, it's technically impressive and like, wow, what a great movie it was for 19-whatever, but like, it's boring. Yeah. And it's not interesting and I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll get that here because I'm in the mood to watch something noir-ish. So I think it'll be fine. I'm expecting to enjoy it. We'll see how well that holds up we'll see how cringy maybe some of the dialogue or the <laughs> things within it are but i uh i anticipate at least coming away being like you know what that was good that was fun i didn't see it coming or you know however you know whatever it right, ends right, up happening right. in it maybe it'll give me a good surprise and a good twist and turn so yeah i'm uh i'm looking forward to it i'm excited to to get another one and one that's more traditional according to you guys yeah. in terms of the noir genre given that last week didn't really give me what i wanted right so. right and bridget are you still foggy between the times that you've seen it or you think you remember it pretty much beat for beat or um is it gonna be one of those things where it might be a fairly fresh movie to you it again might be, it might be fresh to okay me. um i don't think i've watched it in full since the first time i saw okay. it cool yeah i'm excited to see it again i remember the story fairly well because i've seen it a few times but i always like to uh, savor the smaller moments in the dialogue that I forget, which mm-hmm. always become a surprising uh, element of rewatching some of the stuff. But okay, Adam, what do you got to say for yourself, bud? Fine, I'll watch it.
Okay, we are back. We just watched Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity. Adam, you have not seen this before. What do you think? <laughs> um, it was good. I liked it. It hit the right notes for me right up top. Like the, I got all my fun 1940s language. I got my fedora and like it wasn't the detective story necessarily that I was looking for, but I got that like 40s noir, fast talking. There was a lot of fun little diatribes from Neff and also from Keys. Keys just runs off at the mouth with some of my favorite lines that I really enjoyed to kind of hit that that mark that I was looking for. Um, I was right along with the story. I enjoyed the way it was told, the kind of out-of-order storytelling a little bit, where like we start with the confession, so to speak, uh, after a little hiccup from the DVD, but I was like right along with it. I enjoyed all the twists and turns right up until the end, and I felt kind of let down. Like the ending kind of just, I don't know if it was abrupt, and we'll kind of I'll try to piece it together as we talk about it, I'm sure, but just something where in the last 10, 15 minutes, I just, I, I wasn't liking what was going on anymore. I don't know if it was too slow or if it was just kind of a, a weird, all right, let's tie up all the loose ends. Like we have to, we've, we've reached the 90 minute mark. We've got 10 minutes left to kind of put a bow on it, a pink bow, if you will. Um, and I just really didn't enjoy it as much as I did the rest of the movie. So it's kind of a, mixed bag as an immediate reaction but overall i liked it. i thought it was a good movie i thought the performances were good it, like i said it scratched that itch for the noir vibe that i was looking for but in the end it kind of just fizzled as opposed to went out with a bang you know so uh, but yeah overall i thought it was uh pretty good okay bridget i enjoyed it just as much if not maybe more than the first time i saw it okay you know like had more of an appreciation for what I was seeing. And early on in the credits, I noticed, I'm like, oh, Edith Head worked on this? Shit. And then I was watching all of the set dressing and Phyllis's outfits, and I was like... And what has she done before? She's, like, a hugely famous costume designer. Like, when you picture, like, in the 1940s, those, like, stark shoulder pads and crazy hats and just... So much I think of our image of the 1940s now through cinema is through the lens of Edith Head. Okay. You know, like, she just enormous. And then you can see reverberations of her style through time. Like, there are uh, outfits that Phyllis wears in this movie that I'm like, that was in a Lady Gaga video. That was in a Madonna <laughs> video. Like, this is just, like, reverberates through pop culture. Right. So, Katy Perry. Whatever. Yeah, that was a costume corner moment. But... She has 430 credits as costume designer. Yeah. Like, name wow. a movie okay. and she, yeah. like... All About Eve, Roman Holiday, Sabrina, The Sting. Wow. Uh, okay. This movie is funnier than I remember. Like you said, Adam, the, the fast dialogue, the back and forth. Just so fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you? This movie's a total firecracker. Yeah. <laughs> It just pops. Like, every other 30 seconds, there's something that just pops. Yeah, I, I think this movie's a masterpiece. I think it's, uh, again, it does, I understand the fizzle towards the end. Mm -hmm. Just particularly because the first three quarters of it, or more, four-fifths, are just so strong. Mm -hmm. Just, the screenplay is just so tight. It's like an Aaron Sorkin type, where mm -hmm. it just, you got like a 90-minute movie, but like, the script is like 200 pages long. Yeah, super airtight, the performance is really good, witty, the cynical type of stuff we were talking about. 
the you know all the shadows the venetian blinds all the lighting is of the of looking gr- is great um you have like the say here haha yeah. you know you we got that from keys all day as soon as he spoke up i, I looked over at you and i'm like adam's gonna fucking love this dude i mean even just the talking um from neff when he first sits down at the desk and starts yeah. his little monologue into the recorder he had some line it's a real hot potato yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah he said a real hot potato something hot potato, and i was yeah. like oh yeah i got it i'm in now i'm on this movie's wave like we're here we're here for it. this is what yeah. i wanted i wanted hot potatoes the other one i wrote down was a keys at one point says like you're crazier than a car full of monkeys i'm like yeah i love that line what a great line car full of monkeys we'll start using it <laughs> We're not in Medford. We're in a hurry. Let's go. <laughs> oh, dude, that poor guy. I love that exchange. I'm a Medford so man. When I say something, I mean it. And when I mean it, I say it. <laughs> the fact that he doubled back and said, I'm a Medford man. And in Medford, like, we do things by the book or whatever. Like, he went to Medford again. I'm like, dude, this guy's great. <laughs> it's so it's so good. We're going to bust this thing wide open. You hear? Yeah. Love it. Big fan. <laughs> but yeah, I like all this. The, the, the twists and turns are really good and thought out. And... It's not like a huge story. There's like five real main players, really, mm-hmm. which is good. It's not like yeah. this huge thing where you're like, it's a big whodunit. I mean, once you sort of step back and you realize like who they're sort of focusing on, there's only really like one person that it could be, like Scream. Or, you know what I mean? I hate to use that example, but it's like you really – it could only be this person or like there's something going on. Not saying like the killer, but I mean like the other oh, player. I was going to say like we, we no, know. Yeah, we know right? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying like there's just – if they're going to invite another person into the circle, like, it's going to be someone they mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about Nino? Yeah, correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, didn't, yeah, I didn't trust Nino. The second he stood there and was like, yeah, I heard your name. I don't care for it. Who's this guy? Why are you in his car? What's going on right. here? I'm like, oh, this is some... But we could have never saw him again. I don't have again, any but friends. Yeah, right, right. I don't yeah. have any friends, yeah. Yeah, in my notes, he's no friends Nino. No uh, friends No Nino. friends Nino. Oh. I don't have any friends, and if I did, I'd pick him. That's so funny, yeah. yeah. Yeah, hi, I'm Neff. I didn't like you the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't show up again, I was going to be pissed because I'm like, oh, man, he's, he's set up for some great, like, dick moments that right. I want to see called back to. Yeah. So if he didn't show up, I'd be like, oh, damn, they really left a, left a lot behind with that character there who made such a presence on me in the, the one instance we saw. Of right, right. So I figured he probably would come back again. I didn't know exactly how, but yeah, it wasn't really a whodunit because we knew... Right from the get-go. We knew that, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that there was a murder afoot, and the man in the chair with the bullet hole in his shoulder confessing was definitely involved somehow. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and another thing we didn't really talk about with some of the noirs is that uh, we sometimes get voiceovers in these movies. Mm, love um, that. And I like that it wasn't just there because, hey, we gotta tick the box because all the other movies had it. Like, it was actually like a plot device. He's sort of like doing a confession into the... Yep. The dictograph or whatever that thing's called. Oh, yeah. We're recording our next episode on a dictaphone. <laughs> a dictaphone. Get the wax really yeah, cylinders, yeah. Adam. Okay. Get them. Hop on Amazon Prime. It's going Let's to be a 13 What's Amazon podcast. Prime? I'm here in <laughs> 1944. <laughs> the Amazon, it's still thriving down there in yeah. the, uh, the jungle. They haven't cut any of it down yet. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> What's this Amazon you speak of? I could do this all day. I know you could. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I absolutely adore this movie. It's such a fun time. Yeah, it was a lot funnier than I expected, like, to Bridget's point. You know, you think about these kind of noir genres, and it's all about murder and intrigue and suspects and shifty-eyed fellows, and you don't expect little jabs and little moments of real levity where you're just like, yeah. oh, shit, that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, like, what's that line? He's like, uh, you know, don't let them, don't let the, don't spill a drink on the way to the living room. Or oh, yeah, let's see if you can carry this to the, oh, the yeah, living yeah. room. <laughs> oh, my just... God. 
So rude. Of its time. Yeah. Well, but also she's a murderer, so... Yeah, that's you know, true. Why do but we have I to treat like her Neff with respect? I would have said that to anybody. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, every all throughout the office, like at one point he walks into the office and he has to go to Keyes' office and Keyes' assistant or one of the, you know, secretaries or whatever is like, Mr. Keyes wants to see you. And he hands her the, like, portfolio. He's like, park that for me, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's definitely his aesthetic. Like, yeah. But yeah. it's, again, of the time, which is fine. Uh, and thankfully there wasn't, like, those are whatever, like the chauvinistic moments, I yeah. expect that for 1940s, but at least it wasn't blackface or, you know, something else that could easily be of the time yeah. and sits a little bit cringier now. It's like, okay, I expect them to mm-hmm. mistreat women. Like, that's kind of par for 1944. Yeah. And, you know, like, she's not a good person. He's not a good person yeah. either. She's just... More rotten than him. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're both pretty. They both definitely killed the person. They they did right. do a murder. Yeah. So. And and the the female characters are written strongly to begin with. Oh yeah. Too. So it's not just like they're being mistreated, and they also are like swept aside with like no good lines or anything yeah. like that. And it's very much he thinks he's the predator in the situation, and he's not. He's not. Yeah. He's not whatsoever. Well, that's the weird part too, and that's this is kind of why the ending kind of fizzles for me a little bit is that. He's not, he doesn't think he's the predator, really, because he he didn't trust her from the get-go. It's very clear in the first meeting between, uh, what is it, Patricia? Um, Phyllis. Phyllis. Phyllis, yeah. Um, between Phyllis and Neff that he's just like, so you want to do a murder, huh? Like, I'm not, I'm not for that. I'm leaving. I'm turning my back to you. And she's like, no, but I'm sad. And he's like, well... All right, I guess. But we're going to do it my way because I want the $100,000. I did like how it didn't take very long for them to explain a double indemnity. I was a little worried. I know you said they were going to in the in the pre-show, but there was that part where he sits down. He's like, he's, you figured it out. This was a double indemnity all along. And I'm like, damn, I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> I want to know what it is. But like, he didn't trust her from the get-go. Like, I kind of feel like in the back of his mind, he knew he was going to get double-crossed eventually because like, come on, the second wife of a widower comes in and wants to off the guy with the money when come on dude you've been around the block a few times you know what's up right and so then at the end when he's like i can't believe it she she had that she had nina working me over and whatever i'm like dude you knew this like come on you're smarter than this or are you just tall i don't know yeah i think he's just tall <laughs> just tall yeah. yeah yeah the real hero of the movie is keys oh yeah Keys is great yeah yeah i want to work for keys Right? Like, he, oh they kind of set him up at the beginning to be, like, a bad boss of sorts. Because he's like, hey, how about you take a $50 or whatever pay cut to be my assistant? Like, that's kind of a dick move. You're over here offering demotions to your best salesman. Like, why would you do that? That makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. Um, so I was like, all right, maybe this guy's a jerk. But the more it went on, I was like, no, he's actually just a really smart dude. And that, that hunch of his, that little man gut yeah. that he's got. You got a peppermint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> smart man. He figured out the whole plan. Like, yeah. down to the letter yeah mm-hmm. which is impressive for a guy on a hunch he's so bummed up what's well, a hot summer day yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my god every cigar that he had to light for him was just as good as the next oh with the thumb every every match lit by neff with his thumb i smiled more and more that's yeah. the coolest thing ever like i don't even care that he did a murder they make it light a match with his thumb that's cool <laughs> it's great that keys did for him at the end oh great touch Absolutely, because he's just like, whatever, he can't even do it. How how pathetic and sad. He's at the end of his rope, and fine, I'll do it for yeah. him. But I love the reason that Keyes doesn't have the uh, matches on him is because they explode in his pocket. Oh, is that the... Yeah, that's what he, yeah, that's what he says. He's like, oh, you, know okay. they, you know they give you matches when you buy a cigar for free. You just got to ask for them. He's like, ah, I don't like them. They explode in my pocket. 
<laughs> he did say that. That's yeah. right. As he's lighting a cigar in the lobby of an office building and right. walking out with it. Which is still a weird thing to see. Like, I know it's, it was commonplace back then, and obviously there's less smoking in movies now than there was back then and even 10, 20 years ago. But it's still weird to see a guy just, like, light up at the office a big cigar and then, like, walk around with it. Right. Yeah. And call the secretary baby. Yeah. Tell her to park it. <laughs> park this, sweetheart. <laughs> It's just jarring. Yeah. I want to learn. I'm going to go buy a box of matches for, for free somewhere. And just... They have to get the Strike Anywhere matches. Yeah, the Strike Anywhere. Oh, they don't even make those anymore, probably, they, huh? They do. I have a box at home. Ooh, I'll bring you right. some. All right. Hopefully cool. they won't explode in my pocket. <laughs> you can buy them like, military stores and stuff like that. I think. Oh, or, like, yeah. Or camping stores or whatever. No. Yeah, I have Dicks or something. I think, you, I think you need, like, a real callus on your thumb or, like, with a nail or something. Well, though, I, when Keyes did it at the end, he kind of, like, went with the nail and went off to the side. And obviously this has nothing to do with the movie. I just think it's the coolest thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, he kind of drifts it off to the side and he lights it. So, just going to be me sitting on the porch going, come on, come on. It's so sick. <laughs> it's so much better than, like, lighting the bottom of cowboy boot or your oh, belt yeah. or yeah. your jeans. Or no. That's nothing. The thumb. Yeah. Just... Cause, Cause, yeah, because then it's like, this is nothing. I can just do this whole thing. <laughs> you know, it's like Fonzie hitting the jukebox. It is, it's yeah. Like, it's an easy one-stroke you know, one thing. No right, problems. right. The cowboy boot, you got to lean and lift your leg. Again, you got to <laughs> <laughs> It's just cool is what I'm saying. What do you think about like the initial setup? Did you uh, dig that? Were you on board with it Like right off the bat? What, like him sitting down to... Confess? Yeah, I mean, did you sort of like get the idea that like how everything's going to fall into place? Like... Did you figure out the movie well ahead of time? Um, no, I mean, I didn't trust... I, I, I keep wanting to say Patricia. Phyllis. Phyllis. I'm going to have to keep it up. It's a P name, and that's all I can think of. I didn't trust her from the very beginning. I figured there was a double cross coming, because noir movies tend to set you up in the genre to double crosses and triple crosses and all these different things. And so, femme fatale. So I mean, yeah, yeah, so I didn't peg her for murdering the uh, ex-wife. I thought, oh, it's a realistic story. She was a nurse. The wife passed. Like, you bring in a nurse when you're very sick. Makes sense that that would just be a whatever. And maybe he is abusive and a drunk, and he kind of seems like a dick in all of the interactions we see with um, with Mr. Dietrichson. But I knew that this wasn't a... She wasn't on the up and up. This wasn't just a case of wife who gets beaten or treated like garbage wants to offer husband in a like an honorable way or whatever. Like, I didn't... I didn't trust her from the get-go, but I didn't peg necessarily the, she was wrapping up the other boyfriend in it, and that, like, she was really masterminding it. I just didn't trust her at all. I thought maybe she'd fall for him, which she obviously does a little bit, or just says that so she doesn't get two in the chest, uh, which she does anyway. But, yeah, it wasn't so much that I pegged it early on, but it was one of those things of, like, I don't trust anybody here beyond Neff, really. And he told me he he did a murder in, so... I guess I'm going to trust him there. Like, yeah, yeah. He's not really an unreliable narrator in that sense. But I did love the voiceover bit because that is a staple of noir that I was like, oh, cool. And like you said, it makes sense because they set it up as part of the movie, not just, you know, they're going to believe what I Dialogue or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or not just like, uh, like, you see him doing it. Not like one of those things where I feel like in another movie, you cut to the end and they're sitting in interrogation telling the cops about the murder that they did. And that's the voiceover, which like, okay, good, you did it in in story reason. But here, it's like they set it up, they take out all pretense of it. So I know the whole movie, it's these recordings, not, why are we doing a voiceover? What's the reason? Are they going to tie it together? Are they not? Uh, well, I guess we'll figure out by the end. 
So I liked that aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, because even I think if I had to go back to it, but even when he's driving around in the car and you hear like those sort of voiceovers, it's not in like the present tense. It's always like in the past tense. Mm-hmm. So it's you always know that he's sort of everything he's saying is going into that dictograph or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I liked I liked that part of it, and I liked that they didn't take too long to get to the murder. I was a little worried at the very beginning that like the murder would be the end. Of like, oh, what twists and turns are we going to get to on the way to the murder? Um, So I was glad that it kind of got out of the way at the halfway point, I think. So that way the scam part of it could unravel. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I really like the the sort of way they set up or scheme to make it happen because it's fairly well put together. It's like, genius. Yeah. If there's no man on the like the observation deck or whatever, it's flawless. Right. Because you have no witness. Everybody's hustling and bustling. No one remembers anything. There's no security cameras. There's no fingerprints, I don't think, at this point. Like, there's no DNA. Like, there's none of that stuff. You're gold as long as no one sees your face and goes, hey, wait, I know you. Which I thought was going to happen. Because at one point when he's walking to get on the train, there's a woman there talking to the conductors or whatever, giving her thing. And she looks right at him. And there's a look on her face almost of like, wait a minute, that guy sold me my car insurance. And I thought they were going to be done in then. I thought there might have been more hiccups along the way, but the plan like goes off without a hitch. And if it wasn't for the gut feeling of, of keys, they would have gotten away with it scot-free. Yeah. yeah, I love like the tense moments where like it starts to unravel a little bit, like the guy at the end of the train, mm-hmm. keys showing unexpectedly, like that's mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah. Oh, when he shows up at the apartment? Yeah. Yeah. And that's stuff they used to like in modern yeah. filmmaking, like all the time, like throwing some person they could possibly throw off everything. Yeah. Uh, Bill is behind the door. That's yeah, yeah, the yeah. wrong way. <laughs> I know. I, I lamented as we were watching. I was like, whose front door opens out like that? Oh, it's so that way she can hide behind it. Got it. It's a practical thing for the course of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the only case i ever seen it before that bothered me, because I watch it, not on a fairly frequent basis, but I've seen it enough where like American History X, where he, where he assassinates this guy at the beginning. He kicks open the front door. I'm like, that's not how front doors work, ever. I know you'd have to really think about it. Maybe you haven't yeah. seen it in a while, but yeah. I've seen it enough where he's, just, like, he's ready to go outside, and then he pushes the front door open. I'm like, no. Yeah, the only works. time it opens out is if it's like the storm door, yeah. but not the big but front it's, door. But it's for a purpose. Like, the props were told to do that, to change the hinges on a door or whatever, because we yeah. need that angle, or it has to be because Phyllis needs to hide behind the door. Phyllis yeah. behind the door, like, tee Yeah. Which was great. I loved, because... Normally it would be a <laughs> normally it would be a situation of Phyllis gets there first and then she's got to hide under the bed or hide under the mattress and those are they're tense but very rarely are those people ever caught if they're not meant to be caught in that moment like you kind of know when someone's hiding under the bed or behind the couch or the lampshade on their head and they're standing in the corner like you know they're not supposed to you know they're not going to get caught in that instance so it's not as tense this one, you don't know. Like, they're in the hallway. He can see the shoes. He might not out her, but he might at least give a look of being like, okay, have a good night, Neff. Yeah. You know, all right. I'll see you at the office tomorrow. Your lamp has an anklet on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says Phyllis. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, That's luckily odd. she heard, like, a conversation going to the door. Otherwise, yeah. she'd have to pull open that door then walk in. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, if she had rang the bell, he would have just been like... Oh, no, thank you. Like, we're all set here. And just yeah. been like, every once in a while, we get these vacuum salesmen. And I, you know, I used to do that. And I, 
I told them no thank you, so they left. <laughs> I like how, how how satisfied the viewer feels watching that they're almost sort of getting away with it a little bit because mm-hmm. you're so long for the ride. Like, oh. he comes back and, like, the piece of paper's still in the bell. It's like, yeah, man. And the guy's still there in the parking garage to sort of be his uh, alibi. Yeah. And... You taking like, the car out today, sir? I'm like, nope, just been upstairs working, and you're going to remember that for me? I'm going to the deli. I'm getting dinner. <laughs> the sequence when they they plant his body on the tracks and they're wrapping it all up and she throws the crutches and then she runs like <laughs> like and they're running up towards the car is so jubilant and i i think you as the viewer get that sense of like holy shit we're gonna get away with it we're all holy gonna get away shit with we're this, gonna yeah. get away with it when like brian and i accidentally walk out of this like store with a case of seltzer in the bottom of the car mm. that we forgot yeah, yeah. You know, like we're going out the door like <sighs> we're gonna make it like that's yeah. that feeling mm-hmm. pull yeah. your mask up a little bit yeah, like, <laughs> let's get to so the car put your fedora down and yeah. in theory if good. that ever happened to us yeah and it was good because then you get that moment of like oh shit like that was way easier than killing a person should be yeah forgetting of course all the footprints walking away from the body that people would obviously see like you clearly could see a I'm sure a high-heeled footprint in the dirt as they walk away if anybody looked hard enough. Right. But then it, it immediately switches on you when the car won't start. And you're like, oh, fuck. Maybe maybe this isn't going to be smooth sailing. And so even though they get the car started, it's the first kind of domino of this isn't going to be easy for them. This isn't the cakewalk they thought it was. They've done the murder, which was easy enough. They did the They executed the plan to perfection. But there are things that you cannot account for. And Keyes even says, like, no murder's perfect. They always mess up. There's always a catch. And when there's two people, it always, you know, 10,000 times more, more dangerous yeah. or whatever. So that first thing is just clicks back in for me as the viewer to be like, okay, this isn't going to be smooth sailing. This isn't just going to be they cash in and they go to Aruba or whatever and live happily ever yeah, They both look at each other. It's like, we got to, like, keep our shit together. We yeah. can't start celebrating quite yet. But even... Later on, even the viewer with Keys being on their side about being right about, well, it's not a suicide. I love his rant about suicide, by the way. It's Oh, fantastic. Yeah. With all the actuarial table yeah. data and whatever. Great stuff. That The boss that they have, or the president of the insurance company or whatever, is an absolute D-bag. Yeah, he sucks. I, I get not believing an accident when someone has double indemnity accident coverage and the double indemnity comes through. Uh, what Did we explain it here? I don't think we did yet. But it's basically when you have an accident, there's certain things that will trigger a double payout and train accidents is one of them. Like That's the basis for um, the whole thing. But I get being skeptical on his part because like that's a lot of money you got to dish out. I don't know what $100,000 is in 1944, but I'm sure it's a decent chunk of change for an insurance company who doesn't like sure. to pay out money. You know, they even show how stingy Keys is, which is another great setup for how not easy this is going to be uh, when he finds the guy, like, soaked shavings in kerosene and lit his truck on fire. But don't don't bring in the widow and accuse her husband of suicide. Like, that's messed up. Yeah. You and, can... she, and she nails, like, the reboot, like, like real good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. This isn't her first murder. You yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah. You gotta right, remember. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, he's been under the gun before, but he sucks. But the scene was great because it allowed Neff to be coy, like giving the, the glass of water. He's not letting anything on. He's just kind of pacing with the matchstick in his mouth. And then, yeah, the actuarial table about suicides by jumping and suicides by poison and subcategories of which kinds of poison and suicides by gunfire and 
the one about jumping from things is what are the different height variations in the table? So like there's all of those different things that he's just got down pat because he's been in the business for 30 years or whatever. And I love the snapback at the the boss when he's like, I grew up in the insurance business. He's like, yeah, in the front office. You've never looked at a table. You don't know anything. And then rattles off all that shit. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Hero of the movie, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she played it perfectly when she storms off because she didn't let it slip. She didn't get overly emotional. And she the line of hers that I enjoyed the most was the, I didn't even know you owed me money. Then you came in here and told me you owed me money. Then you told me you didn't owe me money. Then you say, I'm going to have to sue you to get money. Like, I don't know what you want from me. I don't like you. I'm out of here. And storms off in a great thing. And you kind of see a little wry smile out of Nep where he's just like, baby, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I like the first instance where it starts to really unravel, where Keys thinks about the policy that he didn't put in about his broken leg. Mm. It's like, oof. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, yeah, but yeah. Until he mentioned it, I was like, oh, that's a good point. I mean, a broken leg, though, I guess it depends on what the policy coverage is for a accident. Because like, how did he break his leg? At the oil field? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, like, when Ned finds out, he doesn't even think about it at all. Like, that'd be the first person to probably yeah. be thinking about it. <laughs> well, that's the weird thing is, like, Ned's got this whole plot. Like, he's got this whole plan laid out. He comes up with it in an afternoon, basically, when he storms out from from phyllis's house before she comes back he basically is like all right if we're gonna do this like i got a plan and then on the couch there like hashes out a whole murder cover-up plan which like dude how long have you been thinking about this but the fact that he didn't think about the broken leg when it came up was like thought you were this mastermind and maybe he's just caught up in the he's scheme. hypnotized yeah. by barbara stanwick yeah and mm. ever since she showed up in her towel but those damn stairs between about her those silly stairs in between silly us stairs. yeah <laughs> I yeah. do love when he's like, I go. He has to go out and really think about the whole thing. He's gonna say yes to this, and he goes to get the beer at the drive-through. Oh my god! And he goes, he he <laughs> does. He goes bowling. Yeah, so good. I kind of calmed down, so I threw uh, threw a few lines. A few is what, lines. He, yeah. what he said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the old-fashioned car hop tray on the side of the window with just one poorly poured beer. Yeah, clearly looks like it's warm. It's half head. <laughs> Whatever. It looks like the best time. One thing I wasn't too crazy about in this was the Lola subplot. We're just going to bring up Lola. Yeah. yeah. I thought she was good. I thought her performance was great. Her crying was on point. Like, it hit all the right beats. Her bringing up Nico and all the problems and her dad not sure. Like, the whole kind of arc for her outside, like, at the beginning was great. And then when she starts kind of, like, dating Neff to, <laughs> like, I'm like, why are you... I yeah, get you, why you're doing it. Did you it. think that maybe, like, Neff was going to start going after her and dropping Phyllis, like... Out with the old, in with the new. I thought maybe she might have been in on it, too. And that, like, the two women were kind of playing him against each other to throw off his game. And then they were just going to throw him under the bus. Like, I thought maybe she was in on it. Yeah, I don't think that's just you either. That's just the way the movie's built. For yeah. To maybe think or point your head in different directions. Yeah, I just didn't need them. I didn't need to see them going on so many dates when she really didn't end up having anything to do with it really yeah like i know why he did it was to keep her quiet but you could have just said we went on a couple of dates to keep her quiet and then show the one at the hollywood bowl where she breaks down like you don't need to go on all of the dates and show them talking and having it out and her laughing in the car and they're going to the beach it's like i don't care (laughs) (laughs) i don't care if you're not important and in the grand scheme of things you're not really that important because she's not the one unraveling this it's the guy from oregon 
Medford. Unra- yeah, Medford. Who's unraveling it? Not her. Like I guess she's a wrinkle in the plan, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But her performance was great. Everybody's performance was great. I don't think there was a bad actor in this, except for maybe the boss who just kept doing this wide-eyed stare yeah. throughout the whole thing. Which a lot of eyes. Yeah, I did love the SmackDown at the end though. When when Keys is like, "Well, you took the ball and you ran with it. You fumbled at the goal line. Then you threw an illegal forward pass, and now you're back forty yards. And then where's that leave you?" <laughs> <laughs> The diatribes for me were great. (laughs) So, Adam, you did not like the ending. Mm. Yeah, it... Tell me about that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I... I don't know. Something about just the... Him finding out... Neff finding out about Nino and being upset, but not really visibly upset. Like, because I don't... Maybe... And maybe I missed it. It doesn't seem like there's a point in which Neff is like, I don't love her anymore... It's mostly just about, I got to make sure that I'm not the one under the bus here, so I'm just going to murder her. Yeah. Well, the breakup scene is in the, I think, in the grocery store. The last market where she's like, we're in it together. Like, sperm to worm, baby, over the baby food. Yeah. That's like... Well, yeah, and that's the break. But even then, he's just like, okay. And they they kind of leave it as, all right, fine, like... I'm settling. I just got a little nervous, but okay, yeah, we're in it together kind of thing. And I think it's made worse by the line a little bit after that, after Nino gives him the trolley speech about saying, when you're doing a murder, you're on the trolley with the other co-murderer until the end, which is the cemetery. And then after <laughs> after that moment, he's sitting there and he's it's the voiceover from the dictaphone and you just hear him go, never really thought about what you meant by the cemetery and what cemeteries are for? For putting bodies in. And I yeah, didn't think about for that. For dead people. What the fuck do you mean you didn't think about that? What else could a cemetery have been for? What else was that metaphor meant to imply, Neff, you big dumb idiot? <laughs> you big oaf? He's just tall. He's just tall. He's so stupid. Like, what else could that have been? I didn't think about it. And then I thought, cemeteries are for bodies. I better do more murdering. Like, really? That's where? This, this is how we've come to the ending now, is that you realize what cemeteries are for, and now you got to do another yeah. murder? You're smart enough to stick a piece of yeah. paper in your telephone and your doorbell. Yeah. But this. And I, again, I get that he's rattled, and that's fine. And this is why, like, the ending to me not being as good as the rest of the movie doesn't ruin the movie like a bad ending could. I still was along for the ride the whole time, but it's just... And then the scene in the house where it's dark and both of them know they're going to do a murder on each other. <laughs> and you're just like... Going to do a murder. Yeah. And the, the banter isn't as fun between them as it used to be. Because their banter at the very beginning when they're flirting and everything and all of that early back and forth. Love it. Love the fast talking. Love the coyness that they each have because they're both trying to get something out of the other one. But it's not as fun at the end because you're just like, okay, well, she's got the gun. I've already seen the bullet wound. I know he's going to get shot. It's just a matter of, is it her? Is it Nico? Is Nico in the house? Is Nico coming? And then once he says, Nico's coming with the cops later, I'm like, all right, well, then he's not here. So unless Lola comes out from behind the curtains, and goes, ha we got you. Bang, bang, bang. Then it's just it kind of yeah. got a little boring. And, and the whole slow. Nico, like you're still in love with this. I think it's Nino. Is it not Nino? It's Nino. Nino. Yeah. Yeah. No friends, Nino. Uh, <laughs> um... But yeah, the whole like convincing in the bush, like, hey, she still loves you. Take this quarter, take this dime. Like, I thought you were Lola's friend. Why are you sending Nino, shitty Nino, back to her? Yeah, I thought she didn't love him anymore because he was a jerk. And now she thinks that he's sleeping with her stepmom. But right. she probably did. 
Probably. Because they weren't seeing each other anymore. He's a single guy. She's a single girl, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 1944. She's got an anklet. Yeah. She's got to show it off. She's about to get $100,000 if they play their cards right. You know? They definitely did it. Yeah, I don't... That part I didn't understand either. I'm like, dude... I. This was your getaway. Why are you blowing your plan here? You just had this whole monologue in the house about Nino's coming. They think Nino did it. They think you and Nino were in on it together. And I'm going to kill you. And Nino's going to come here. And he's going to be standing over your body when the cops come. But I'm going to tell him not to because I'm just going to go home. Or go back to work to (laughs) confess all of this. Like it it doesn't make sense. And everything else up to that point made so much sense that I was like, oh, it's just, you didn't bring it all the way home for me. Yeah, I mean, this movie is rounding third and it trips a little bit, but still, like, gets the run in. Yeah, like, it... but it's because it throws up the line, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay. Or it's because the other team fumbled at the goal line and then got through an illegal forward right, pass right, and right. went back 40 yards. And they're in worse spot than they started. But it was just like, dude, you had this. Not that I'm rooting for him necessarily, because he is a bad person, but you had it. You had the whole plan. And then you explained the plan on film for me, the viewer, and then you abandoned said plan to die at work. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) But like, how do you guys feel about that ending? Is it just me overthinking it, or... I mean, yeah, I mean, the movie is very smart and intelligent, but it does uh, live in a very small ecosphere of things that are going on. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need to overthink too much of that because there is some simplistic stuff going on. And I just, I don't know, like something like that, I just, it's so easily forgivable, I think, because I had so much fun watching the movie. (laughs) And it does end strong with like him dying and like, you know, keys here and the entire thing and Mm -hmm. the the lighting of the cigarette. Like that's perfect stuff. I I do love the line where he's like, someone moved the elevator a couple miles away. Yeah. You know, I think there's also, and I'm not familiar enough with the original story as it was written by James Cain, but some of the things in that story had to be changed specifically to meet the requirements of the Hayes Code, because they were already on shaky ground, you know, depicting a murder, and essentially your protagonists are, like, trying to get away with a murder. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think some of the, your hero can't do this, you know, he has to die at the end, and we have to see him make some sort of amends. We can't just, like, wallow in the badness. And there was an alternative ending that was planned and, I believe, filmed. Yeah, we uh, saw a picture of it in the case files. In the, the case files, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> the Blu-ray. <laughs> um, where Neff is sent to the electric chair, which I wonder, which I know they Well, the gas chamber, tested. right? Or, or, or... I. Oh, they mention... might be the gas chamber, because I'm, I'm getting two things mixed up in my well, head. Well, he mentions gas, gas chamber, chamber a couple of times, mm-hmm. of like, what are you going to... San Quentin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, why are you going to call an ambulance for me just so I can go to get back on my feet, go to San Quentin and die in the gas chamber? Yeah, and that was deemed too, too gruesome. I could see that. Mm. But the reason I'm getting it mixed up is James Kane based his original story on a real-life woman. Her name was Ruth Snyder ends up being an infamous case in the 1920s where basically the events of the movie play out. Mm-hmm. She's unhappily married. She finds a younger man, convinces him to kill her husband so they can net the insurance profits. And she is caught. They're both caught. Um, and they're both executed by the electric chair. But 
the photo of her execution was published on the front page of the New York Daily News at the time with just the headline was just dead exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I was just looking at it that's gruesomely funny. enough. <laughs> dead. Dead. Oh. Oh, that's like the biggest Fifty-two point five. Basically, above the fold, the whole above the fold. The whole is dead. above the fold. Dead and poor. Well, depending on your outlook. Unfortunate Ruth Snyder. Yeah. But yeah, could not go that route in nineteen forty-four. I get that. Yeah. So I think that that plays at least a part in the ending not landing as hard. I think until Keys returns on the scene. Yeah. And. And also just because some of that fun dialogue and stuff kind of just goes away and in, in, in favor of a darker like ending and all the stuff that comes with shit falling on you with all the murdering and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it, just because you had all the fun at the beginning with some of that stuff doesn't track that like that's kind of the realistic nature of probably what would transpire in a scene like that. Yeah, and I don't necessarily fault it for not being as fun or as witty in the banter column. But I do wish it was a little bit of that, just because I think Neff seems like he's trying to not necessarily imply that he's about to kill her. It seems like there still might be a little bit of fun. They just have to have a conversation. But all the pretense is gone, and it's just very straightforward. Like, maybe I don't like that. Maybe I'm going to close these windows. I don't like this music anymore. I'm going to shut the All the lights are off. It's obviously a murder and about to go down. But I don't know. I just kind of wish there was some of that good back and forth between them just as one last great moment before it it all goes to shit right i mean would you have liked it if like a door was left open in this story like if like a hole was open where like you didn't know if he survived or not or she was actually alive like they came to the house and the body was gone yeah i don't know maybe it could have been did you not like how conclusive the story was no, it's fine that it's conclusive. I, yeah. That that part doesn't bother me. I guess maybe, maybe it's kind of the line where she's just where she shoots him, but then doesn't shoot him again. Like that whole "do it, like kill me right now," and she's like, "No, I didn't think I could love anyone, but I love you. Hold me." Yeah. I'm like, okay, I still don't trust you, but all right, now you're being genuine. Oh, and you're dead. Like it didn't. I don't know. Something about it just didn't play yeah, right. I can't I hear quite you. put my finger on it, but it just. In the moment sitting there, it wasn't as satisfying to me as I think the rest of the it film. It just wasn't as strong or yeah. well, as conceived as these other scenes, but they did what they were supposed to. She obviously didn't shoot him because she. this was the first time, but maybe her mark was someone that she was actually falling in love with. Yeah, or someone who was as cunning as she was, and right. they were the perfect Bonnie and Clyde pair, yeah. but it all went to shit because... Keys is so dang smart. I don't. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and he was just so done with her because he probably just got, got fucked over again by her somehow. Oh yeah, he was absolutely done because he believed the Nino story, which I do, we don't know if it was necessarily true. We don't know how intimate their plans were. It makes for an unreliable situation because Lola has an axe to grind and Phyllis has an axe to grind with each other. Also, really dumb move trying on your funeral gear before you commit a murder. You know, <laughs> come on. Yeah. yeah. So outside of the story, what did you like aesthetically about this noir compared to the third man? Would you like more? What didn't you like? Oh, that this I really liked that this hit the vibe I was going okay. for. Okay. Like this nailed the clothes, the setting, the cigarettes, the fedoras, the 
the, the way drive through beer. Yeah, you mentioned the costumes oh, and the the co- yeah. yeah, all of that work is great. You know, you get the the Phyllis in the towel, and then she comes down and she's got like the extravagant blouse with the shoes with the big flowers on them. Like she's got so much going on for just. You're meeting the insurance adjuster, like... When he kills her and she's in her pajamas, Mm -hmm. why do your slippers have a two-inch block heel? What's happening? (laughs) It's women in the 40s, man. Putting in work. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just the setting, all of the the sets and the set design and everything, it just, like, hit. The language, all the fast talking, like, it hit that vibe so hard that I was looking for. Basically, in the next movies that we watch, I just need a detective story at this point. So that'll be, that'll check all my boxes. If okay. we get some kind of detective involved, that'll hit them. Cause this one checked so many of those boxes of what I was looking for. So right from the get go, I knew I'm like, okay, this is that, yeah, see that I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not getting necessarily like a Tommy gun in the mob, but like I get, I, I get slow burn, I Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I really quite enjoyed that. You know, the, I love the short ties, like that old 1940s. The high, square to squared off tie. Yeah, yeah. The high pants and the short tie. Which he still tucks in when he goes bowling. Loved that. Didn't like the nice little touches like that. You know, when he when he first sits down to confess at the very beginning and he takes out his soft pack and just kind of throws it and all the unfiltered lucky strikes all come out of the bot you know, the yeah, pack yeah. there. Just like those kinds of little moments were were great. Yeah. And it really speaks to the the cohesive nature of it, which is why I'm so sad about the ending, because I don't think it lives up to what the rest of the movie deserves because the rest of the movie is so strong and is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. What about you, Bridget? How does it work out second time around? What do you enjoy the most about it? Oh, just the, the atmosphere, the look, the, yeah, the music does a lot for it too. Yeah. The music. I liked basically all of it. There's not a thing that didn't land exactly the way I needed it to. Yeah. Yeah, I just I I just adore this movie. I just there's so many good things about it. I again, like you said, I like the dialogue. It's so witty and mm-hmm. cynical, and you know, just little things about him going in and like feeding the goldfish, just good stuff. Yeah. Or, or telling the whatever the housekeeper that he heard is a key for the liquor cabinet. Oh, great line! Like, they keep the liquor <laughs> locked out. It's okay. I bring bring my own keys. I bring my own keys. <laughs> Um, that confused he, me a little bit because then he immediately started having the voiceover and talking about Keys the man. And I'm like, wait, he always brings Keys and now he's talking about Keys? What? Oh, Keys is the, it's his boss. Got it. Right. But yeah, he's just like, he's a very fun, charismatic lead opposed to who we had last week, which the name is already escaping me. Yeah. We can I flip the page. I, yeah, but. I, I don't have the character in the. Yeah. Yeah, what the name of the guy was in the third man. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. I'm like, Kevin? No. No, no it wasn't a Kevin. Keith? Yeah, just a lot of memorable characters in this. Mm-hmm. Um, great performances. I like, again, I love all the lighting and just the, you know, smoking a cigarette out of the window. It's raining. And the car rides. I love all the car rides in this. Mm-hmm. Just him thinking to himself, talking about. There's something fun about that old Hollywood, just like screen behind the car. <laughs> You know, like the oh, you know screen. exactly what it is, and then yeah. you just it just disappears. I just I love that look because, like, again, you know, it's just a soundstage and it's a PA rocking a fake car front with just a screen going out the back, having the road go, and they've got the you know the steering wheels well, going back and forth. Like, well, I at least they, I was just gonna look. say, at least they're not doing this stupid monkey driving a car steering wheel action like the most actors do. Yeah, it wasn't nearly as intense. I think they still do it a little bit because you had to, otherwise it yeah. would look extra fake. But I love the matte painting for the Hollywood Bowl. 
where they're up there on the little like secret oh, it's cliff, great. yeah which i hope is still a thing you can do like i hope if you know like if you know yeah. la that you know the secret walking path to get to the woods to overlook the hollywood bowl yeah. and see every show you want but i like the Dietrichson house from the front mm-hmm. the, the, the uh those old spanish california houses that everyone was so into for that brief period of time <laughs> Yeah, I just, I don't know, I, I love it. There's just not, again, yeah, you can invite some gripes with some of, like, the ending, landing the ending, but beyond yeah. that, it just, just love the setup. And again, I like the structure where you may think, like, the train thing is going to be, like, this, the, the second act, the climax, when it's really just, like, the end of the first act, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, because when... And just watching the fallout of it. Yeah, because when it sets up, I'm not sure, because I can see the bullet hole. Like, I can see the bullet wound on his jacket... I don't know if that's – is that from Dietrichson? Is that from – Police. Phyllis? Or... Is it the police? Is it from Lola? Is it from Nino? Like, who could it be from? Oh, it's it's from Phyllis and the murder happened halfway through. Like, that could have been a big climactic fight. That's really like the – maybe if you want the whodunit, like the one thing we don't really know, where did that bullet hole come yeah, from? Yeah, exactly. So – I like that it kind of, the murder happens halfway through, like I said, because that allows for more intrigue in the second half, because it's not, are they going to do the murder? It's, are they going to get away with it? And I feel like that had way more weight to it and way more interesting elements because so many things are, are they going to be able to get a, do a murder? Not, are they going to be able to get away with a murder? And I like this getting away with the murder unraveling more so than I did with, say, the player, where he does the murder and then the getting away with it part wasn't as intriguing to me. Whereas here, I'm like, oh, there's a lot at play here and I like this more. And I think maybe the reason why is because this is a tighter cast where there is only, like you said, the five people or whatever. I mean, you've got Keys, Neff, Lola, Nino, and uh, Phyllis, and that's it. Basically, yeah. I mean, because you think of like like a neonor, like a LA Confidential, where there must be two dozen people. Kind exactly. of, just, you got to keep a track of, which is a lot. Yeah. So the fact that everybody knows a little bit of information and each one of them is pulling at different strings, like that, was intriguing more so than watching Neff spiral out, which is what the player was of just a guy unraveling versus a situation unraveling. Yeah. And I like the situation more here than I did there. Gotcha. In a same kind of movie. Now, Bridget, you've seen other Billy Wilder movies. How would you compare it? Is it as tight? Are they as good? Um, I would say it was interesting. I was thinking about Sunset Boulevard in particular watching. Well, I've seen Sunset Boulevard, yeah. Yeah, which is like, I was like, I prefer to Double Indemnity personally, but I was like, oh, there's a lot of echoes and parallels between these two movies. The The houses look a lot the same. The houses, and they, you know... There's, they kind of start the same. Yeah. But, you know, I think you can tell that this is someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, right, right. You know. Well, I certainly want to check out more of his work. I think, again, we, we talked about a, it. A bunch to the list. Yeah, yeah we will. Some Like It Hot's on the list, I think. Yeah. Which I've never seen, but I hear good things. So definitely get to more of that. Nice, nice, nice. How did you guys feel? Because we didn't touch on this at all. How did you feel about the actual murder ring in the car? Like, I really liked that they just kept the shot on Phyllis and just her eyes being like, we did it. We murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did a murder in. Barbara Stanwyck has very sharky eyes, mm. particularly in that scene. Yeah. 
I do wonder how he did it because they said he had a broken neck, but you don't you don't hear any. And I don't know if how much of this is Hayes Code stuff, but mm-hmm. like you don't hear a neck snap, which I feel like you'd want to. It, I thought he choked him out. He takes his his short tie. Yeah, like I thought, <laughs> or just like something from the bag or the coat or the seat belt if they had seat belts back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so when they said like, "Oh, his neck broke from the fall," I was like, "Okay, weird." He, I thought he. Like choked him out or chloroformed him or whatever. Unless that is what they did. They drugged him, left him there, and then he got run over by a train. But I don't think that was it. No, I like the idea of like, oh, you assume that maybe he just like choked him and yeah. the police are so dumb or whatever that, you know, you fall off a train or whatever. It must be just a concussion or there just wasn't enough medical investigation into it, postmortem mm-hmm. of how this person died. But the idea that like, oh, he, he broke his neck on the fall. It's like, damn. Yeah, he went for it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I I mean, murder is bad. Let me preface this by saying murder is bad, just in case. But I feel like choking somebody out is less evil or less murdery than snapping a neck. You know what I mean? Like, snapping a neck seems so much more visceral than a choke. So, I like, it puts him in a completely different light as a character to find out that he broke a man's neck in the car then, oh, he just, like, put him in a sleeper hold until he died. That seems more right. humane, in a way. Because it's like, oh, he fell asleep and died. Because I was choking him. Right. <laughs> but that, you know, cast in a completely different light. And her and seeing her eyes in that moment, I liked. And then thinking about her eyes in that moment, knowing that her boyfriend is breaking the neck of her husband, is like, fuck, lady, you are bad shit. Yeah. Bad, bad mm-hmm. lady. Black Widow. That's why she's got to wear her sunglasses in the grocery store. Mm. But then she's got to take them off so people don't know yeah. why you're wearing sunglasses inside. inside. Questions. You got you to gotta think about these things. So well stacked, that grocery store. All the cans and everything. The baby food. Baby food. Why do they always put the thing I want on the top shelf, though? <laughs> <laughs> and that, poor lady. that lady didn't need to be there, and I loved it. And again, that's one of those funny lines that you... It's good, like, six foot three Neff was there, so... Yeah, yeah. exactly. My other favorite line was when uh, when Keys is buying the cigars down, like when you think it's it's going to unravel. They in think the he's lobby got, of, the, yeah, of the building. Before Neff goes back up and finds out that he's been suggested to be tailed and Nino's now the, the guy that they think did it when uh, he's like, come on, have a drink with me. Two olives. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Two olives. And he says something else right after two. Oh, that's when he has the matches line. Yeah, yeah. So just again, these like funny little lines where you're like, the way Keys is so excited that two olives is going to be the selling point for this martini. Yeah. Like if you had said no olives or one olives, he's not coming. But two olives. How do you turn down two olives? It's probably expensive. It's probably $50,000 an olive. Not one. Two. Two. Oh, one of, one of the other funny lines was when they're talking about insurance uh, with Mister Dietrichson, and they're talking about money. It's like, well, we're gonna be we're gonna be in the red if if we keep buying all this insurance. Like, we're gonna be penniless without all this insurance. And he goes, you know what's gonna make us penniless is you out there buying six hats. Who needs hats in California? Oh, I love that. <laughs> Literally, everybody. Who, who doing wears it. a hat in California? It is very sunny. You need hats. <laughs> Plus, it's a staple of fashion. Like, do. You, uh, Neff didn't go anywhere without his hat. That yeah, guy, that guy was a hoot. Yeah. Oh, Dietrichson? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had a great line about him going back to back to school for his reunion. I forget what it was, but it was a funny line. 
Yeah, it's like, I, I, I gotta get away from you for a couple of days. Jesus. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, the conversation they're having I'm in the car. A football man. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, he, like, he was a bastard. He was, probably was terrible to her, because he seemed a little yelly, and yeah. when he goes to go back upstairs, he's like, bring a soda glass when yeah, you come bring, upstairs. Yeah, bring the soda. Fill the soda before you come upstairs. Yeah. But yeah, you don't, I mean, you don't expect those funny lines in a, uh, in a movie about murdering. Yeah. Unless it's meant to be a comedy, which obviously this is not meant to be a murder comedy. No, but I mean, it's, you're supposed to enjoy, like, those yeah. moments. You know what I mean? They're yeah, there. Inten- they're there intentionally, not because we laugh at it because they're old and no, whatever. Exactly. But, like, they're there because it's supposed to make. Well, they're good zingers. Yeah. They're good lines. So I, I applaud this movie for that because it certainly wasn't on my list of expectations going in to any of these noir movies, where I guess now it should be that, yeah, it's going to be dark and dreary and whodunits, but there's going to be some characters that get in a few good ones. Right, And I'm right. going to enjoy the crap out of those. Yeah, the line's good, but the delivery is almost just as good, too. Mm-hmm. So Something about that 1940s affectation yeah. and the speed in which it's delivered of just, like, they know with 100% certainty what, what they're about to say out of their mouth is gold. Oh, and yeah. they know it. <laughs> It's not like quick cut editing. I mean, they have to like really <laughs> learn these lines and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that suicide rant was probably the best delivery of the whole the whole movie, at least for me. But I know, yeah, Edward G. Robinson is the the MVP of the cast. Is that his name? Yes, um, okay. and he almost didn't take the role, if you can imagine. Hmm. He did not want to be second build to. Stanwick and I forget who plays Neff. I don't know some guy that to me looked like Ed Helms the whole movie. Uh, Fred McMurray. <laughs> Fred McMurray. Yeah. Uh, he didn't want to be second build, but shortly after he got the offer, he realized, mm, I guess in my my star is on the wane, and they're going to pay me just as much. So, yeah. dude, his I'll Wikipedia picture is D- exactly what you want it to be. Yeah, dude. I hope he lights that pipe. With a match that he struck on his own thumb. Or that he's got an assistant who strikes it for him. Yeah. That's yeah, it looks like he's played a bunch of gangsters. Little Caesar, Key Largo. He played himself in the Batman TV show? <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you'll like this, Adam. Hank Azaria drew inspiration from him when he want, when he did the voice for uh, Wiggum on The Simpsons. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. He's way smarter in this movie than Chief Wiggum. <laughs> that's, for, that's for sure. But... Yeah, I definitely have to check out some other movies with him in it. But mm-hmm. do you guys want to touch on anything else with this? I just want to do one final return to costume corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck is wearing a wig, and it's terrible. It's a wig. It is a wig. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, really? Yeah, Billy Wilder did not reveal, like, realize that it was a terrible wig. Like, he wanted to have her have this really like blonde Jean Harlow look. But three weeks in, he was looking at the dailies and realized this wig is terrible, but we've shot too much of the movie. I can't go back. So we have to commit to the wig. And then for years, he would tell everyone I made I picked the bag bad wig as a deliberate choice. Oh, OK. Just yeah. to sort of save face. Yeah. Hmm. But I guess it worked because neither of you noticed. I didn't really notice. Yeah. It yeah. looked weird. When she took off her glass in the, in the grocery store, I kind of noticed it looked kind of like stuck to her head a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But the like 
with the style of hair at the time that like wash and stuff. I just yeah, I was yeah. like I was like maybe even... yeah, I was like maybe just the hair but Yeah, and like I'm not used to seeing 19, like women's hairstyles of the 1940s like that's not a thing and how they react to something yeah, yeah like that's not a thing put a bird on a woman's head and Adam's yeah. like makes sense that checks out look at that dame with the feather hair it's a film of its time <laughs> yeah that's why There's they like call them like, like, that's why they call them featherheads. I get it now. Yeah. yeah, you must have been rejoiced when you heard the word dame like in the first like twenty seconds of oh, the movie. The, the sweethearts, <laughs> the dames, the, the babies, the babies, all of them are great, and they're delivered in such a smarmy way, and I love it. I did <laughs> so good. I don't want to return to a time of talking like that, but I enjoy watching the time where that was okay. <laughs> it's just silly that that yeah. was the thing that people were like, "This is the this is the way to talk." I'm going to say dames and bees knees to my heart's content. It's going to be good stuff. Amazing. It's a real hot potato. Yeah. It's crazier than a car full of monkeys. Tell you what. So we touch on this typically, but this was uh, nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards at the 17th Annual Awards. Uh, It didn't win anything, but it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, uh, Writing, Cinematography, Black and White, uh, Music, Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture, and Sound Recording. Lost all of them. Jeez. So. Like Gangs of New York didn't win one or something like that. Whatever happened. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of any of these other movies, but Going My Way seems to be the big winner that year. That was Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. So, I've heard of Going My Way. Yeah, and Barbara Stanwyck lost to uh, Ingrid Bergman for Gaslight. <sighs> See, that's a... Is that a good one? That's a good one. There you go. Mm. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think this was a fine example of film noir and i reading here and you guys kind of mentioned this before it's kind of like the first example of it like this wasn't a genre prior to this movie and the the genre itself takes off from the examples of this so it it's good that it has all of those like classic things and i think that's why i liked it so much is because it it hit all the things i know to be film noir yeah it definitely borrows like a lot from like earlier gangster movies Mm -hmm. but i think people wanted something more slower based because some of those gangster movies are just like all the Tommy guns and all that mm-hmm. other stuff, but I don't know. Any last things, Bridget? No, I'm excited to continue on the journey through yeah. noir history. We're excited, yeah. I think we, I don't think we've revealed it, but we're going to jump a couple of decades into next week, and then the following week we'll probably get fairly close to where we are. Yeah, what's on the docket for next week? Oh, do we want to say that? Sure, why not? Yeah. Uh, next week is Chinatown. Okay. Which you both have seen? Yes. Yes. Cool. Hot seat again. <laughs> so hot. Spicy. Can't wait. Yeah, this was... It's this... all right. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do Marvel March and we'll just be sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Been waiting. Can't wait to show you guys Ant-Man. It's going to yeah. be great. <laughs> Ant-Man August. I'll just think about it. <laughs> I'll wait a little bit till the third yeah. one comes out and then we'll have enough. But um, but yeah, no, this was, this was a good time. Ending aside, still thoroughly enjoyed it. Still a big fan of it. Don't know that I'd revisit it. Okay. all that often just because again you got to be in a mood for it but if someone's like let's watch a noir i'm not gonna be like no this one sucks let's not yeah good stuff but if it's on like tcm or whatever and you're scrolling is it does tcm still a channel still probably yeah it okay. is although they rebranded recently which yeah what? i have some feelings not to they anything... show 80s movies though now like they TCM has moved with the times. Do you remember the old TCM logo? Not to go totally off topic, but they updated their logo and now it's like... Color? A, it's like a brand. Sans serif font. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And, and remember they used to do the interviews in that room with like mm-hmm. the leather chairs and like... 
wood. With Ben Manka with it or whatever yeah. his name was. Yeah, and now yeah. it's like they're in like a hard, like industrial, shitty like room. Adam cut this. I have a lot of feelings. It just is not, it's not TCM. Yeah, they moved with the times because a classic movie in 2021 came out in 1988. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like when we think of TCM, we think of movies they're, from the 40s Treasure and 30s. Island. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to attract a younger audience Correct. by being like, this is sort of what's hip. But TCM is not really for a younger audience. It's for the young audience who doesn't want anything to do with it. Like, what's currently cool. I'll go to TikTok for that. TCM, I need you to be stable and unchanged. You're the rock that I rely on. You need to still be afraid of Y2K. At the very least. (laughs) I go into the double indemnity store and buy all that canned food. That's what I need you to do. Can of beans. Canned beans. Yeah, when TCM is TikTok videos, kill me. (laughs) TikTok classic (laughs) media. Just like a TCM just person all, yeah. introducing, like, this is a classic Vine compilation yeah. from 2014. Make me sign some sort of accident policy and kill me. Get you in double indemnity, push yeah. off a train. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really enjoy this movie. Love it. I planned. I I'm glad I've watched it again because I I feel like a few years have gone by where I have not pulled this out and watched mm-hmm. it. So I think it's something I'd wanna. Either watch more on a yearly basis or actually start diving into more wilder stuff and some more more noirs. Yeah. Definitely scratches that itch mm-hmm. that I've uh, had for a while. Yeah, for sure. So, Adam, take it away, bud. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it then for this week's episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Remember, you can find every episode of Fine, I'll Watch It every Thursday morning on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pod. So let us know what you think of Double Indemnity. Did this film that kicked off film noir genre appeal to you? Have you seen it before? Uh, did you see it in college in a film class? What was the first film class movie you saw in college? Let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pod. But once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Johnny. And I'm Bridget. And thanks so much for listening.